Hello everyone and welcome to Pinkin.com Norwich City podcast number 356. That's not this season, that is in total. Oh, a lot of seasons. Uh, on the way, due reward, double award and praise the Lord. I don't know what the last one is but it rhymes. My name is Michael <laughs> Bailey and joining us here this Monday afternoon at Archant Towers we have Chief Norwich City Correspondent Paddy Davitt. Good afternoon, my friends. And our Norris, Norris City corresponding colleague, David Freezer. Hello. And the man with the camera, producer Tony Thrussell. <laughs> I'm always watching. <laughs> oh my God. You've been watching. <laughs> I, I don't want to know how long you thought about doing that. Uh, well, there we go. Uh, how is everyone? How are we? This It's sunny. Norwich won. Everything's great. Let's not talk about the football. Let's talk about life in general. How, how are we? How, Dave, how are you? I'm pretty good. I I don't want to rub it in, Michael, but uh, I know. Talk about sleep. I'm just cutting you off. No, no. I, you had a, obviously a very busy Sunday, but I wasn't working. I I, I had a nice Sunday roast and uh, actually. Fr- where, 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 where? Oh, I wouldn't want to possibly sort of plug a, a business without being you know paid for the privilege. But it was it was a nice pub in North Norfolk. <laughs> um, actually, one nice thing for me actually Friday, uh, me and the girlfriend got to go and have a look at our new house, which is being oh. built. Um, for the first time on Friday we got to go and have a look inside which was a nice um, exp- and quite a strange experience as well um, it's getting a bit frustrating waiting for it as we yeah. uh, you know booked it in December but uh, it's nice to see it coming together so yeah, blank canvas to... blank canvas is it uh, well to an extent you know I'm certainly not designing it myself or anything <laughs> it's uh, it come out of a, a booklet but um, <laughs> yeah I'm not not quite that wealthy uh, yellow and green kitchen that's what you want <laughs> no <laughs> think I don't think I'd get that past the girlfriend, nor, nor would I want it. <laughs> also a fair point. Paddy, how are you? Good, mate. Good, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think. Didn't do anything other than work on Sunday. Not to the same levels as you, but Friday I did entertain, as I told you, I think. Oh, yeah. Had a nice little dinner party. Drank too much beer. So 12.30 on a Saturday didn't exactly hit the spot, but... I thought you were quiet. Yeah. <laughs> you no. made it, though. You made yeah, it. I did, I did, yeah, yeah. But all in all, yeah, we got through it, and uh, so did Norwich. In emphatic style, and uh, I've literally got my feet on the table. But metaphorically, I think I could put my feet on the table now because uh, it's just a matter of when and if they can secure the title. I think. I mean, it is becoming quite apparent how different our jobs to how different the players' jobs are. I mean, we are literally what is happening, aren't we? And we, we, we're like just waiting for it now. If they did that, we'd absolutely crucify them. But um, we can have that chat in a minute. Uh, before we get stuck into the proper stuff, remember you can get in touch with us all here. Share your thoughts. Help us set our agenda. Just send an email to thepinkin at archon.co.uk or get in touch via the usual social media channels. And make sure you don't miss a single podcast through this season. There's only six games left now. You can subscribe and the details are all at pinkin.com slash podcast let's kick off as always with quiz time the uh, football school the amazing quiz book I appreciate you holding it up for me Pad um, uh, you found this book yeah, I think you've taken a degree of ownership which I, I thoroughly appreciate do you want to have you already selected a question oh yeah no yeah I'm rejuvenated now because it was about to go into the fire this before last week we pulled it out of the fire metaphorically I'm saying metaphorically an awful lot on this podcast so uh, yeah no I, I, maybe the moral of that story was do a bit of research rather than just open it at a random page oh. so we've done a bit of research would you like me to answer yes. the question bring it on question is obviously as any regular listener slash viewer would know by now heavily World Cup centric so in that fashion the question this week is how many countries are members of FIFA meaning they're allowed to take part in qualification rounds for the World Cup. 
So uh, you probably got a few ideas, but let me just help you along the path with four options. Is it 111, 161, 211, or 261? Tony I, I Russell. When was this book published? Mm. That's what I was thinking actually, because you you'd have had quite a few recent ones like Kosovo and things like that. Two eighteen. Two eighteen. Okay, so, so quite new. Yeah. I, I thought there were only one hundred and fifty-two members of the United Nations, but I've obviously got that wrong. But um, oh. or maybe I haven't. I don't know. I'm thinking the low two hundred. What was it? Two hundred eleven. Two eleven is an option, mate. Because yeah. uh, just from looking at the rankings before, I think I've. I've gone to the bottom to see who it was or whatever at the time. Um, maybe because who Scotland were playing. Oh, I can't well, remember don't now. Scotland at that low down, then. <laughs> I think so Sam, Sam Marino. Yeah. Yeah. I think Sam Marino are bottom. I thought it would be something like the Cook Islands or something like that. They get whacked 32 nil in qualifying. They, they play equally small nations, don't they, in those CONCACAF CONCACAF qualifiers yeah. don't they because all those little Caribbean islands and stuff so they must get the odd win whereas San Marino literally don't ever get anything do they Tony what do you reckon um, what was it 211 216 211 okay, I mean how many countries are in the world that's the question mm. it's a great question uh, I don't really care I can't even remember what the options are to be honest but I'll go with the lowest one that was about 111 wasn't it, was. it? And because and you know so uh, the good news is for those who you're desperate to find out, we will have the answer for you over at the Pink and Norris City Podcast Extra Time, which you can exclusively uh, watch on the app. Uh, we did actually have a question. We will, of course, get round to mailbag uh, in a little tickle uh, as we get there. But we did have a question from Sam Walden saying, is there a Pink and app now, Michael? Yes, <laughs> Sam, there is. It has been for a little while, but let's brush over that. And you too can download said app. Just search Pink Un. Pink, UN, uh, two separate words in either Google Play or the App Store. Download the app and you'll be able to watch the uh, podcast Extra Time and find out the answer to Paddy's question. Were you going to say something, Tony? I was going to say, the question was... Why did Paddy only give Timmy Puki a nine on Saturday? <laughs> oh, he's on fire this one today. It does bring us on to that was the week that was Norwich, of course, hammering QPR four now. Just in case you need it to be repeated, is how many countries are members of FIFA? <laughs> That's the only question we're discussing here. Uh, he was very good, wasn't he, Timmy, on Saturday? He wasn't as, as they all were. No, he wasn't a ten. Oh. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, he wasn't a 10. Uh, let's not open a can of worms there. But uh, yes, healthy difference of opinion with one of our consumers of content. So that's what we want. We love this engagement. But, you know, ultimately, Timu Pugi did not earn a 10 <laughs> for what he did on the field of play between the hours of 12.30 and... 2.15 Saturday afternoon I mean let's not underplay the value of a 9 that would be my point Which is that what you gave him absolutely yeah, yeah. fair play if it had been a 7 and you're questioning what on earth is he getting a 7 for I'll take that all day long but I think to question a 9 is splitting hairs a touch I mean there was a period where we had half marks so you know maybe you could have given him a 9 and a half but a 10 would have to be as you rightly said Michael a bare minimum hat trick well this is it hat trick and, and away you go but um I'm getting away from the numbers. Uh, it was a fantastic performance from Norwich <laughs> City. Yes. Um, I, 
against a, a, a pretty awful side. I mean, I gave QPR, I rate the opposition, I gave them a three out of ten. Oh, that were... wouldn't have gone down well because that was the second part of the email. Oh, this is Frossel's now opened up a can of worms here. Because he does not it deliberately. Only... He looks like yeah, it's accidental, yeah, but this absolutely. is all stirring. Yeah, no, no, he, he sits awake at night thinking of these things. But apparently, QPR didn't deserve fives and sixes, they deserve more. So, I don't, again, more. more than fives and sixes. Right. So, your three would have gone down very badly. As I tried to point out, first half they were diabolical, and um, and even John Eustace, the caretaker, admitted as much. He said they were so poor the way they started the game. You know, you're two 0 down after twelve minutes, um, and, and again, just look at the third Norwich goal. Tony Leisner square pass inside Freeman, Freeman heavy touch, Buendia's on it, and then Pookie rolls it in. But that goal's conceded on the Sunday Parks pitch. You wouldn't be happy, would you? So, yeah, I don't see how QPR deserved anything more than five, six. Well, as, as a certain someone with Leeds persuasion said, uh, it was a freebie, wasn't it, Dave? Yeah, total freebie. It, I think it almost um, emphasises the importance of a head coach or a manager in football and why we put so much um, pertinence on that position. That team was rudderless. They could barely pass the ball. Um, they were embarrassingly bad. They could have been 6-0 down at half-time if Norwich had taken their chances, and, and I don't think I'm over-exaggerating that. Whereas Norwich, 100% behind their head coach, 100% behind his style and structure. They are playing for him, they're motivated by him, and they're very, very firmly in his boat on the way to the Premier League. So QPR, I felt a bit sorry for the caretaker, really, because those players that totally unmotivated a bit clueless um, I think he probably should have parked the bus a bit more to be honest and, and, and stuck three at the back from the beginning and just tried to frustrate Norwich but I don't think that would have made much difference Norwich were totally totally dominant and uh, yeah should have scored more goals indeed I mean let, let's not underline the fact that Norwich are a very good side and they, they you know I do have the quality to take teams apart as as well, even if they are rubbish on the day. Um, I mean, there was a lot of talk, of course, about QPR. They've changed their manager, the fresh air that Daniel Farker was talking about, which is a phenomenon with managerial changes. But I, th- I don't think any of us were, were unaware of the fact that it can go one of two ways. You can get, you're obviously going to talk up the situation where it's hard, but you can equally have teams who, they lose their manager and it doesn't necessarily free them up. They They can look at a loss in terms of how they then go about things on the, and the sort of limbo of knowing who's going to come in and, and what the future is I mean QPR have obviously got their own um, issues with that I don't really want to spend too long talking about QPR to be honest but yeah. I mean that, that's a point isn't it um, in terms of how Norwich went about it though and just I, I guess the, the, the freedom that they're playing with at the moment they, they attacked with such fluidity I, I mean I've written later um, it's sort of running out of superlatives I suppose in, in a way of how they're going about it it's, it's, it's phenomenal really it is yeah yeah but you cannot escape that the helping hand they were given it, not only in terms of the mindset of the individuals on showing the QPR ranks but the, the template which I think is where the caretaker is culpable that he sent them out with a mindset that we won't engage Norwich until they cross the halfway line and then we'll almost try and fill the holes well the game is lost then, I'm afraid. If you try that with this Norwich setup, as Bolton tried and failed miserably, same scoreline on the on the day as well, 4-0 defeat. The minute you allow Norwich to play with no pressure through defensive third into Tom Tribal, into Kenny McLean, the game's up because they will then move it swiftly on to Buendia, who can, even in packed defences, two banks or four, 
because his movement is so good and his technical ability is so good. You've got Stieperman pulling deep. Pook is a, a constant ball of energy. And, and then you've got Anol Hernandez and the two young fullbacks pulling on the outside. Absolute kamikaze approach from uh, QPR for tactically, and they paid a heavy price. You know, look at the Middlesbrough game, look at the Rotherham game, look at the Millwall game. All those teams are inferior pound for pound to Norwich players, but Norwich in all of those three games was still going in deep into those games, still the result was in doubt. Um, and they knew that they basically had to be dragged into a game that they're not really comfortable playing. But the mark of this Norwich squad is that they can now find a way to win games, even if it isn't their preferred method, i.e. roll the sleeves up rather than finesse. But um, yeah, far too compliant for QPR. So that's why I'm loath to go too far overboard with the Norwich performance, because I just think, you know, it was. It was a non-contest. It was a walkover. And and then in those contexts, it's very easy to play football, isn't it? Yeah, and it was costly for them as well because for QPR because Reading, uh, sorry, no, Rotherham and Millwall both won, didn't they? So they're now only five points clear of the drop. And you know, if they continue playing like that, they could well slip down. And when you think of the amount of money that has been spent at that club in the last decade or so, that could really put them in in quite a muddle. So yeah, I wouldn't want to be a QPR fan at the moment. In, in fairness, yeah, there's not uh, there are clubs that get sucked into things, aren't they? And um, they are going to have to do um, dra- drastically better than that. I mean, they've got Millwall as well midweek, mm, if I'm not mistaken. Really? And Millwall fresh off beating West Brom. Yeah, that's not the team you'd want to play. No, exactly. And Millwall got a game in hand, haven't they? As well, I think. So, yeah. interesting yeah, times. Um, in terms of the overall picture, of course, you know, Norwich did the business. However, they got around it. We've had this really interesting situation where basically Sheffield United and Leeds have. have uh, sort of swapped wins and defeats really they're both dropping points so ultimately although Norwich aren't breaking free of one team they are breaking free of both of them sort of gradually aren't they now Dave and eight points from third isn't it and there's only 18 left to play for yeah we watched the results rolled in didn't we when we got back to the office after the game of, of course with Norwich's game being a half 12 kickoff um, so Leeds lost 1-0 at Birmingham and Sheffield United won 1-0 at Preston is that the right way around and then they swap around yeah. and play those same away games vice versa um, tomorrow night don't they so we'll um, we'll see uh, you know if Leeds were to drop points again then of course Norwich uh, if they can beat Reading Wednesday night are going to be in a, a brilliant position but to be eight points clear with six games to, to play is um, is fantastic and, and like you said at the top of the pod Michael it, it, it's now a, we're all at the point of still having to say if and are they going to be in the Premier League and not wanting to talk too much but they would have to really fall apart from this point because you can't see this Norwich team not winning another two games of their final six um, with the fixtures that they've got I mean Wigan might be a difficult game on Sunday because they're pretty decent at home but Reading should be being beaten on Wednesday night if they play like they did again on Saturday and once you're in that position it's going to be very very difficult to, um, to fall away and Norwich, uh, I think it was sort of a, a widely spoken of stat. Well, there was a few of them, of course, because they've, they've won eight on the spin, which is their best record in terms of unbre- unbroken sequence of wins um, in when they've been in the top two tiers. Although they have a 10-game record that was better, and that was just league games, but they lost a cup game in the middle, which is why it's a bit of a convoluted yeah. um, stat. They've scored as many goals as Wolves. Um, did after 46 games last season of course Wolves held up as as one of the best teams to ever win the championship certainly most expensive as well given the quality they had at their disposal and, and Norwich actually already being kind of linked um, or compared to Wolves and, and Bournemouth the, the team that won it 
back in 20... No, it was when Norwich went up in the playoffs, wasn't it? No. Oh, God, my poor brain can't... Yeah, it was 2015 when Norwich went up in the playoffs, yeah. Um, again, a side that spent a lot of money, but one of the best in, in the championship. And, you know, it's sort of having a look at... Norwich haven't done it yet, but there's, there's still that debate that, were, that went on on Sky before the game on Saturday about where Norwich ranked compared to those two sides. But, I mean, a completely different budget, completely different framework. Yeah, which is why many will justifiably say that this achievement outranks those because of the... I touched on it in my analysis in the pink and on, on today's paper online that inhospitable terrain you know selling a family silver you don't construct squads capable of going for the Premier League if you want to flog off a James Madison a Josh Murphy a Jacob Murphy even Johnny Housen and uh, Alec Pritchard although Pritchard probably on his terms wanted to leave but then you then the flip side of that is okay we've lost these players how do we replace them well what we're going to do boys is we're going to bring in these unproven academy lads who haven't even played really development football in the case of Jamal and Max and then what we'll also do is find these uh, people who nobody's really ever heard of unless you play football computer games uh, in these untapped European markets for for a brass farthing or two and it's all going to be melded together by uh, Daniel Farker and uh, lo and behold uh, seven, six, seven games left to go, and you're seven, eight points clear. It is, and rightly, um, we'll wait until it's confirmed. But then, when it is confirmed, you know, after Villa, final whistle goes at Villa. If this plays out as we all expect now, then we can really have the debate. And because then it will be definitive. It'll be 46 games of a season. Norwich win this amount. They score this amount of goals. They got this amount of points, and you can stack it up against the Wolves and against the Bournemouth achievements. Newcastle going further back. Reading even. Um, and we will see where they fit in the pantheon. But there's no doubt, in terms of the context of where they've come from, the base they've had to build from, it is a phenomenal achievement. Burnley won the title, didn't they? Um, from from a small budget, um, certainly compared to your Newcastle's and Leicester's and Bournemouth. So I think they're probably the ones where it's comparable. But if if they uh, seal the deal and and go up as champions, I think it will be one of the uh, the greatest stories of um, of a championship title winner. Hold that thought. It is Gongs of the Week time, our favourite moment of the podcast, almost certainly, definitely. Uh, And um, I wanted to, the big Duncan Forbes hero of the week is where we normally start. I was going to bring this basically around to the EFL Awards, which were, of course, uh, last night. um, Tame Pookie named Championship Player of the Season, phenomenal Max Aaron's young player, EFL young player, so that's across all three tiers of the season. But um, actually, just on what you were saying then about what Norwich have done and coming back to that, in terms of the manager, do, do you think it should have been Daniel Farker, who is Championship Manager of the Year, over Chris Wilder, who of course got the award? I don't see any argument why it should be counter to that. But what I would say is um, it's the LMA one that counts for me. The, the, the peers voting for their peers and um, and if Norwich do end up going, going up, I'll be very, very surprised if it's not Farker who's picking that award up and that is a truer reflection I think um, not even sure how they arrived at the championship manager because the players in the team of the season were picked by the managers so who's actually picked the manager it, it never was that clear so I don't know whether it's like the divisional monthly awards where it's a judging panel made up of luminaries like George Burley and them sort of characters but um, so that that's an irrelevant uh, even argument for me that uh, Farke if they go up as champions given what we've just said he would be without doubt the top manager in the championship how was Wilder when he received it at, at, actually at the awards what was his body language like was he a bit sort of 
embarrassed or was he perfectly happy with it? I mean, he's still done a very good job, hasn't he? He has done a very good job over a number of years. I mean, they he he did present the moment of the season award to Billy Sharp, which we kind of, I was like, oh, so that's why Chris is here. Right. And you, as you say, you don't quite know why people get um, invited to uh, awards or maybe preferred, you don't know. But um, the, he, because he came up with the team of the year, it wasn't like a big song and dance. And again, that was the championship team of, of the year. I, was it? I don't even know if he was EFL manager of the no, year. there wasn't one. It, it, there isn't one, is there? So, yeah. division just had a manager. So, yeah. um, so it's kind of brushed over. He was, in the te- he was managing this team. They spoke to him about how good the team was. He said, well, I can't see three centre-backs, so <laughs> probably didn't want to look after them uh, that well. But g- generally, I thought he was, he was quite calm and sub- subdued, but, you know, it might not be his most comfortable. Uh, I can imagine Chris Wilder is much happier on a training ground than um, at a swanky London hotel on a glitzy stage with a bar- brass band, um, uh, you know, trying to be funny and entertain a load of drunk people in front of him so um, yeah uh, there's probably an element of that uh, as you say Paddy it's you can't really it's you can't take away from the job that Chris Wilder has done over over a period and you know Sheffield United have not got a budget comparable really with Leeds and the other teams behind them if, if they go up um, automatically that will be a phenomenal achievement and probably most impressive is the way they've developed from last season and the lessons he's learnt from their campaign last year they do have a billionaire owner though Sheffield United don't they they, they do, do have yeah, money right. behind them yeah. so I think their wage bill is reasonable but still I'm not no slight on that but uh, there, there were three fullbacks in the championship team defence weren't there there was Jamal Lewis Max Ahrens and then Reese James who's <laughs> also a right back and then I think it was Jack O'Connell, the Sheffield United player, who was the, the one central Liam defender. Liam Cooper, I think. Oh, Leeds the Leeds defender, was it? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, I think Wilder might struggle with that. Well, in fairness, how is there not a Sheffield United centre-back in that, yeah, in that team? O'Connell That's ridiculous. Anyway, um, let's talk about Tamu and Max, because he's phenomenal. And you've been looking at the, the, the stats and... and fudging through what it all meant Dave uh, well in the process of really for a piece yeah but um, just to sort of emphasise Max's achievement um, the EFL Young Player of the Year that has been won by Gareth Bale Wilfred Zahar Deli Alley big names like that in the past and um, of course last year James Madison was beaten to it by Ryan Sessegnon so that's the calibre of players you're talking about and and no real duds which is my interesting not really not really no most players you know there was like a Con- Connor Wickham who obviously his career has been held up by injuries but you know he's a good player on his day Premier League player on his day isn't he um, so that highlights that and I think we are all pretty confident now that Max Ahrens has got a Premier League future ahead of him if not a Bundesliga future who knows I mean Red Bull Leipzig have uh, been linked with interest but I I think hopefully at this stage we're all thinking if you compare him to Sessegnon who was obviously a left back and hugely successful with Fulham he hit double figures for goals as a left back didn't he so Max hasn't quite hit those levels but he stayed with Fulham didn't he when they went up they didn't actually use him a great deal initially eventually he's come back into the team but hopefully that's a little bit of evidence that maybe Max will stick stick with Norwich for, for next season in the Premier League never having Ryan Sessegnon as a defender I know he played left yeah, back but very um, attacking now I did have an issue that the three and we had this debate about player of the season but it's slightly different um, that the three best players in the championship were all strikers I mean, I think that just simpl- breaks the game down into its um, probably un- undervalued, most or overvalued, or, um, overestimated simplest form. But um, it's quite clear just ar- around the place of the awards last night, you know, the impact that Team of Pookie's made. And no one expected this. And he's just 
done something quite unprecedented not just his goals but his work rate and the goals he's created he's been involved in 35 of Norwich's last 37 goals which is absolutely nuts isn't it if that is a true start that's phenomenal it might yeah. not be yeah <laughs> but <laughs> I, I think it is that I, I'll double check but carry on anyway yeah how many changes were there for QPR mate Saturday yeah, yeah. It one wasn't it one yeah. I, well, I tell you what the QPR Twitter feed mentioned one you'd have thought if you are going to mention one you might mention the other four but um yeah, I mean, it is, you know, again, it's another subplot, but but in terms of their value, then for me, it's very straightforward. If you take 26 league goals out of Norwich's season, they're not top, they're not second, they're not third. They're probably improving on 14th, but it's probably 6th to 10th. So that is why he is, A, so vital, and B, probably now getting uh, individual accolades because he has made the difference. He is the difference um, having that goal threat they played some nice football last season they didn't really have, well they didn't full stop have that goal threat in, to that degree at the top end of the pitch so um, and again at the risk of repeating ourselves there's a guy who came in for a free transfer who'd been okay at some decent clubs but never really put his stamp on it and something has switched in his career um, which is credit to him personally but it's also credit to Weber and his scouting team for identifying him and then Farker for polishing him what is clearly there is talent and as you alluded to there it's his finishing it's his all-round play outside the box and it's his work rate and his desire and there was that classic example Saturday where he's ran back into the right back berth 60-70 metres um, just to, to halt a QPR counter it's just uh, he is the real deal and um, that's what I'm looking forward to again we, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit but to see whether he can and of course he won't score in the same multiples he's done this season but can he go on and adapt his game and and I think he can because he's a very intelligent footballer you can see that so you know that's interesting in terms of what Norwich do in the summer what they need to do I think they've got a guy there who can score goals in the Premier League uh, Tamey almost uh, over humbled himself uh, <laughs> on Saturday if that's a, an expression I don't think it is um, it, because he he, say, he claimed that when he ran back to cover uh, the, the right back berth um, Norwich were down to 10 men so he felt like he had to do it but he didn't it was still 11 v 11 at that point so he, um, you know he, he did it out of the goodness of his heart uh, there's a lovely run here on Twitter of all the goals that are Tamu um, has chipped in with and it does say he has been directly involved in 35 goals in 37 games this season so that's not quite the same stat but it's close enough I'll take it um, and in fact actually speaking to him um, on uh, last night at the, at the awards he said that his two standout moments from this season Millwall and Bolton two last minute goals both worth four points and the table would look quite different if, if just for those two goals if, if Norwich were four points down we'd be um, sweating a lot more at the moment yeah it's been sensational um, yeah, I think Che Adams was uh, probably the one who shouldn't have been in the list I and mean, Billy Sharp was probably because of the narrative wasn't he of becoming the EFL's top scorer so he kind of had to be in there I think Ollie Norwood at Sheffield yes. United would have been the uh, third player I'd have had in there maybe Pablo Hernandez at Leeds but it's kind of similar to Buendia in that he's possibly the best player in the championship but has he had the best season don't know I'm, uh, who cares Pookie's won it um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I think he's been awesome it's his all round um, game which has been so important um, I, I guess the one that he meant when they were down to 10 men was the one when he went right to right back and helped Max out didn't he because there, there was one with 11 men which did get a big cheer wasn't it when he charged back to stop a counter but all that stuff the the crowd absolutely loved it didn't they and he he just 
he just looks like he's enjoying himself. He look, you know, when players just find a home, like like when Darren Huckabee found his home at Norwich City, and you just get players who are just comfortable in their surroundings. And yeah, I, I'm pretty confident. You know, particularly if he can finish the season with another two or three goals, that he'll have so much momentum behind him, and he'll be in such a good place that as long as Norwich stick to their style and, and keep providing with chances, he'll, he'll keep putting them away in, in the Premier League. Um, we should just put it into context. His brace men- made it 26 goals in the Championship this season. 27 in all competitions only two players have scored more goals in a league campaign than Timu in 117 years of Norwich City history uh, they were both in Division 3 or the third tier three is that south, right yeah. yeah so 3 south so we're talk, talking pre-professional especially and both uh, well I think it's pre-1960s wasn't it um, yes yeah. uh, Ralph Hunt and Percy Varco, yeah, um, who was in the 1920s, I think, yeah. So he's drawn level with Terry Alcock and Ron Davies, who both scored 26 in the second tier in the early 60s. Um, so, you know, you look at that, and of course, Hunt and Varco scored more goals, but really, to put it into context, Timu Pukki has basically had the best season a singular season as a striker in Norwich City history because of the standard that he's playing at you know even the champ- the second tier from the early 60s to now totally unrecognisable isn't it the quality speed strength of football compared to then I-, I mean I would imagine the second tier was probably quite a bit superior to the top flight was in the early 60s I'm sure there'll be people of a certain vintage who might want to dispute that but football has changed beyond all um or possibility really in that in that intervening time so to think just how where he ranks in in the club's history is ridiculous uh, I guess all I'd add 25 goals from Chris Sutton in a Premier League team is that worth more than 26 in the championship or potentially I mean who cares they're both awesome and, achievements and weirdly he didn't do that in 92-93 did he, he did it in 93-94 no, when they finished 10th so yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's true. that is an odd one but yeah clearly that is a remarkable yeah. feat and, and, and relevantly this is the first time a player has scored 25 league goals since Sutton in 94 yeah, isn't it yeah. so first time in 22 years and yeah what a free transfer. I think it took Chris Sutton about two minutes to point out that his goals did come in the Premier League. So fair play, Chris. Uh, Kevin Muscat, villain of the week then. I think this is pretty straightforward, isn't it, Paddy? No doubt. Uh, Emiliano Buendia. <laughs> um, straight red card, lunge on Josh Scowen. I think we, I mean, I certainly feel like I've debated it a lot. And, and the, the points probably I've been trying to debate are not necessarily the, the, the usual ones it is a red card um, he's two feet off the floor he's, he's gone in at a high pace it's it, to me was probably the red card Marco Stiefelman avoided against Nottingham Forest um, but I do have an issue that it's now a three game ban that does seem quite a lot but they are of course the rules maybe the fact that we haven't had a sending off before this season meant we haven't really had to contemplate this um, because I, I, I must admit even in the game I was like well it's only one isn't it because it's not elbowing someone but it, it, it is three and it, it does seem quite a high tariff I mean if we were talking 10 games earlier into the season this would be much more of an issue wouldn't it oh, it would do yeah I mean yeah that clearly is a debate to be had I think that's a fair debate you know does the crime or does the punishment fit the crime and you can also then take that another way and, and look at the inconsistency both in that game and just across games generally because there'll be challenges of a similar nature which will either be a yellow card by our different referee or, or go unpunished and, uh, and and obviously there was challenges Daniel felt were also uh, probably even more 
dangerous was the phrase he used in terms of coming in from behind, coming in from the side. Um, but boiling it down, was that a red card under the laws as they stand? And absolutely all day long. Um, was it naive? Yes, as Daniel said. Um, complete rush of blood. The lad needs to learn. He can't do that. And uh, there was no need to do it. They were 3-0 up. But he's frustrated, obviously, because literally a minute or two before he's been wiped out, not for the first time on that afternoon by Tony Leisner, and, and Norwich got a free kick, but Leisner should have definitely got a book in. And, uh, and that has been a common theme since, really, Buendia's emergence. Opposition teams know he is the one they have to stop. If they can't do it by fair means, they're going to try and do it by foul. And, and the problem is, because they know he has a reaction in him, they will do it even more now. So that's something he needs to eradicate from his own game. And it's difficult if it's in your temperament, that passion, you want that, you want to channel that in the right way. But wise old heads like Tony Leisner are playing 10 up any and they will play on that. And uh, and if he's got a short fuse, then they will activate it. So you'd like to think he's a 22-year-old lad making his way that that'll come with a bit more maturity um, because there's plenty more things in his game to admire than one or two negatives. But I think Daniel had it absolutely spot on. It was naive and he needs to learn. Yeah, bang on indeed. And other clubs would have clocked it most definitely as they would have done um, all through the season. You've got the picture open on, on Paddy's um, match report and, and analysis actually, Dave. Um, it's got the picture of... Daniel Farker making sure he's not looking at Emmy Buendia as he walks off. And actually, the Sky coverage focused quite heavily on Daniel, just sort of sitting there shaking his head, going, well, I think it was stupid, but I mean, he might have been saying other words as well. So he clearly wasn't wasn't happy with it. <laughs> and what it does mean is that after eight games of the same 11, Norwich have got to pick um, a change. Daniel Farker's got to make a change to the team. Um, we can talk about that now, that, that briefly, or we can take it into the, um, the podcast extra time, of course. But... Uh, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. And some people are assuming that because Todd Campwell came on for the last 10 minutes that he might be the one to benefit, but I'm not entirely sure it's that straightforward. Yeah, that'll be interesting. I think Daniel almost has got that look of, I'm, I'm not angry, I'm disappointed. <laughs> it really was a stupid thing to do. And you never know, in, in the big scheme of his career, it could be a really important lesson for him to learn because hopefully he won't do that again. When you when you look at the position it is on the pitch, you're 3-0 up, you're clear at the top of the table, you've scored one, you've set up two, you're in brilliant form. He's been nominated for the PFA Fans Player of the Month today, hasn't he? And probably will be nominated for the Championship Player of the Month. He's in probably yeah. in brilliant form. Um, and then he goes and does something silly like that because somebody didn't get booked. It, it was a red card all day long. Yeah, three games feel, feels a little bit harsh. But um, yes, it will be interesting. I, I mean, I just wonder... I mean, Camwell's probably the most like-for-like um, replacement, isn't he? Although Francic has come on uh, on the right side of midfield quite a lot this season, and he only scored goals in that position. But I just think whether it, the luxury of the position they're in and the fact that they're playing a struggling Reading team at home, who are going to be highly motivated, no doubt about that, um, and who aren't a direct team either, who are they're trying to play football under their new manager, aren't they, Jose Gomez? Whether this is the game to get Leitner back in, because he does look frustrated on the sidelines, doesn't he? His body language is like, why, why am I not playing? Um, and if you'd think long term, he, he would be one of the players who's got the potential to be a star in the Premier League next year. He's got, you know, Borussia Dortmund's levels of quality, hasn't he? So. Is this the opportunity to get him back in, push Kenny McLean further forward, which is what's better suited to him to an extent? Although I thought Kenny was really good I on Saturday, did, uh... one of his best games. Um, I think he's played on the right a fair bit. Um, he's played for Scotland on the right as well, although that's not 
his natural position but that front three rotate a lot don't they you know Steepenman it tends to be the one that drops widest of the three quite a lot of the time and we know with Buendia he just pops up everywhere so and we're seeing that Kenny McLean can stick him away from the edge of the box so as much as there's a lot to debate here and it'll be interesting to see what Daniel does he's got some cracking options yes um, Pad we'll get your thoughts on the podcast extra time if that's all alright um, but it, it I mean it's always interesting for me Daniel doesn't seem to like changing two positions if you can help it if it's a one for one he'll, he'll do that but um, we'll move that on a, a moment Simeon Jackson moment of the week what what Sean Pad what was your moment I mean there's there's a lot of ones we could all pick but I'm going to pick one that certainly wouldn't have caught too many headlines. Well, no headlines whatsoever, but it caught my eye because it was just in front of us uh, in the City Stand first half and in context of what he went on to do during that game. And then last night, of course, you know, being crowned young player of the, the Football League, just there was just a moment there in the first half where you just thought, what a player this this kid is, Max Ahrens. Where, and all it was was... He basically exchanged passes with Tom Tribal, I think it was. It was really tight, confined space. He had two players around him and literally just his body positions and almost like, I'm schooling you two here, and yet I'm only like, it should be the other way around. You know, just the, the, the maturity in that lad's play and just the way, the intelligence that he's in the right positions and and it was just, you just saw that and you just thought this this kid, if he's uh, if he's got it between the ears, he could be anything really because, um, you know, he's he's... 24 carat absolute gold so um, yeah but as I say it was, I mean you'd, you'd have watched the game and you probably wouldn't have thought anything of it but it was just a little passage of play where a young player put under pressure because he's got two players close to him but it's almost the trust that the rest of his teammates have got now that they don't see a 19 year old kid who's playing his first season in the championship they just see a very high quality attacking young fullback and they trust him that they can give him the ball in a tight area and, and he will make the right decisions and, and not put his team into danger. So it was just that little snapshot of what Max Aarons is all about. Yeah, your moment of the week, Paddy, is the one we want most definitely top stuff. Dave? Yeah, I thought Pookie's first goal to make it 3-0 was, was big because they should have been um, further in front by that point. And Daniel had lost his head with O'Neill, hadn't he, at the poor miss he basically had the same chance as Buendia didn't he and put it wide and Daniel went absolutely spare in his um, in in his dugout because in his technical area because he was starting to think oh, you know the, the whole game they didn't put it to bed did they and then that ended up being much more nervous and QPR weren't even as good as uh, as Hull and Tony said to me during the first half that QPR weren't even as good as Ipswich were on Derby Day and that was true they were, they were poor so the relief a for Timu because he'd had that little drought and he just four games or six including um, his two games for Finland so I think you could see the relief on him in the celebrations you could feel it around the stadium that it was oh they're not coming back from this we've got this in the bag um, and and presumably with Daniel as well it was what seven minutes before half time they knew that they were going to be improving their position at the top of the table um, even though it was temporarily I suppose they didn't know what was going to happen with Sheffield United and Leeds but as much as his second goal was a brilliant finish I thought the first one was sort of the moment brilliant stuff love it um, mine I think probably uh, Chris Wilder and Billy Sharp saying nice things about Norwich at the awards last night I say nice things Billy Sharp saying that he thought he was only going to applaud uh, Tame Pukki as he won Championship Player of, of the Year uh, Billy Sharp got to uh, take moment of the season for um, breaking the Football League goal scoring record which he did a month or two uh, back and, and Chris Wilder on um, 
the fact that him and Marcelo Bielsa are uh, going through the same thing at the moment, yet Daniel Farker is uh, sleeping fairly, comparatively easy, I guess. And uh, it was nice of uh, Chris Wilder, I thought, to um, say the phenomenal job that Daniel has done and um, and how much they deserve that, because that, that doesn't always happen in the battles of a season when you're saying, well, nothing's done yet, and this, that, and the other. So... Um, I think I'm supposed to plug, aren't I, in the Extra Time podcast, I'm going to tell people about my journey to the awards because it was lengthy. Adventure. But, uh, adventure, yeah. Uber. Don't, don't get that. Anyway, so that that's going to be in the podcast Extra Time. Uh, but for now, let's squiz ahead to Mailbag. Sure, squiz is an actual word. Uh, what have we got here then? Thank you for getting your, your messages in on um, Twitter predominantly because I did fish for them earlier, not in a Leeds United fishing way, just in a can you send your questions in? Um, so let's go through some of these, shall we? Winoceros, that is spelt with a W lovely um, handle there uh, who from the 2014 15 team that went up via the playoffs would get into this team? Uh, Nathan, yeah. which gives the question where I think we'd have to go with the team of the year and have about 85 right right midfielders <laughs> because um, you wouldn't take Buendia out of there but I just think he yeah maybe maybe Arnell would come out now I know that's not like polite because Nathan's in it to play on the right but the modern winger is inverted and plays opposite flanks don't they so straight away that's the name that would pop out for me um, mm. definitely Nathan Redmond yeah, he's the only one I could really see, to be honest. And Johnny Housen, I suppose, wouldn't be too far away. Um, I mean, Cameron Jerome was very good that season, wasn't he? I'd probably pick him ahead of Jordan Rhodes on the bench if we were if we were going that far into it. But I don't think Ruddy would get in ahead of Cruel because of the style that they play. Um, Basong, Martin, probably not. No, I, I think Redmond's probably the, a fair shout. That'll be because this side is a considerable margin better than the one that went up in 2015, really, yeah. as will be proven, I think, by the end of the season. Uh, David McKenzie says, obvious question, which is always the best one, who has to come in for Emmy? We're going to talk about that one, David, in the uh, podcast Extra Time with Paddy. Uh, James Robinson, prediction time, lads. No beating around the bush. It's going to happen. When do you think promotion will be confirmed? Which is also another one I wanted to ask in the podcast Extra Time, but let's ask that one now. We'd be lying if we said we hadn't been having this discussion in the office. I think Stoke on Easter Monday is most likely and you might get the first opportunity uh, against Sheffield Wednesday at home on Good Friday and that would be a, a cracking time to do it, wouldn't it? Because that would be one heck of a night out for the for the fans to, to do it at Carrow Road. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All points to an Easter delight, hopefully. And ideally, yeah, ideally you'd want to do it at Carrow Road but obviously in terms of what we need to do, producing content at 9, 10, 30 o'clock Friday night, it's not the dream. So yeah, Easter Monday, please. It's not the dream. Um, the only thing I'll say about Good Friday is that Leeds and Sheffield United, they're both at home and they've both got games that almost certainly should win. I guess if they don't do that, then that would be what would then open the door and then Norwich will kick off and all, away we go. Plus, Good Friday, Daniel Farker's 100th game in charge. Come on, let's do too many opportunities there aren't there but um, you know sometimes things aren't necessarily written like that uh, Katie Rath uh, asks and you kind of touched on this Dave so I'll ask it to Pad will Max be in a Norwich City shirt next year? Well on the, on the basis that they're in the Premier League then 
you break it down, you know, are Norwich under any financial pressure to sell if they're in the Premier League? No. Would he get more game time in a Premier League team apart from Norwich? No. With the greatest will in the world. So, because ultimately the clubs who would probably, you think, be looking at him are your top end, you know, however high you want to set the bar, but certainly clubs who uh, have ambitions to play in Europe on a regular basis. So, he's not going to be as good as he is, potentially. He's not going straight into their squads. So, Yes, I think is the answer. I think Norwich will be the best place for him, for Jamal, for Ben. Um, but the nature of football is, you know, if the money is escalating to levels that Norwich can't turn down, then they will have to cash in because that's sadly where Norwich are in a pecking order and where these big beasts in the Premier League are. Yeah, and you would hope that if one of the big beasts came calling that... Um... Stuart Webb would be saying, well, if you're prepared to stump up the money and loan him back for a season, then I'll think about it. But um, otherwise, you'd have to pay huge money to tear him away from Norwich at the moment, and he's under a nice long-term contract. He is indeed. They've done a good job with that, haven't they? Okay, so we'd normally go into the week ahead, but you know what? We know that it's going to be 5,000 Norwich City fans at Wigan on Sunday. It's going to be a phenomenal spectacle that only happens when things are going this well. Uh, Before that, Reading on Wednesday night. We're going to preview both of those in the uh, Pinkham podcast Extra Time, which, as I said, you can watch and listen to uh, on the Pinkham app exclusively. It's free to download and um, be involved with. Uh, just search pink un two words in either uh, Google Play or the App Store uh, other than that has anyone else got anyone anything they want to say Dave no more big speeches although you did do yeah. that in the Extra Time podcast so there's still time <laughs> now a couple of little youth bits Adam Ida's nominated for the Premier League 2 um, player of the month for March yes. um, after three goals in two games and uh, Pierre Fonco, uh Belgian striker is uh, I not imagine most people had sort of forgotten about um, he came back from his long term injury and scored for the under 23s on Friday night although they lost 4-1 to Southampton who had Fraser Forster in goal at under 23 level um, and Carlton Morris also got 45 minutes that, no- that night so that's good to see and there is a 23s game at Carrow Road um, on Friday night against Middlesbrough so if you if you want to see Carlton in a Norwich shirt again that, that's your opportunity nice nice Paddy no I think the man said it oh. <laughs> as always um, Tony uh, only that I, I noticed Don't Paddy's, say no, Paddy's, <laughs> Paddy's headline was something special this coronation that it's a coronation that is set to take place uh, without late. the crown it's, it's prince too late. he's only trying to make up because he's pulled in, pulled in the one about the player ratings <laughs> that means you think it's going to happen in the next three games Oh, well, I wouldn't quite go that far. As, you, as, you, as anybody knows, it's like, can I find a word to fit a box? <laughs> so, yeah. Rather than anything too fundamentally uh, profound. You wouldn't believe the words we want to put in a place, but we can't because they're too long. <laughs> and then you've this forever Zimbo now because you, you wouldn't fit in a headline box. I said no chance with anniversary on Sunday. I noticed that. Can I toss in a grenade as well and say that I gave Pookie eight out of ten in the uh, play watch? Hey. There you go. Hey! <laughs> he didn't quite make a nine for me. I'll be got... forwarding on that bloke's email yeah. today. You almost got away with that one, Dave. But, well, Tony, you will officially be known as the wind up merchant from here on in. Um, top work, well done. Uh, everything else we will cover off in the Pink and Podcast Extra Time. You know where to watch that one by now, but, we're, but we are done. I think the one thing I wanted to flag up Jamal Lewis was also named in the EFL Championship team of the season. I don't know if we actually said that, but I mean, almost taken for granted just how good a player and how consistent that young man has been this season too so Jamal 
we obviously love you too uh, we are done thanks to you all for listening of course it's goodbye uh, from Paddy cheers Pat cheers Mike cheers Dave thank you cheers Tony bye most of it uh, remember pinkin.com for all the latest Norwich City news analysis opinion and transfer insight because we will be back with you each and every Monday so make sure you get in touch and get involved this is your podcast as much as it is ours and I'm going to take a little bit of pride as us, in us as a group for actually doing these podcasts weekly this is the first season we've managed this for a while so we're on it now we are on it now uh, although it's a Sunday game isn't it next week so that might so we'll be fine uh, we will answer the earlier quiz question can't remember what it was um, and all the other stuff uh, I've already teed up but we'll hopefully not forget in the Norwich City podcast extra time you know where that is now uh, until next time here's to someone supplying some more superlatives because I have definitely run out goodbye <laughs>